Hello there, fellow streakers. We are looking forward to talking with you today. We have a special guest with us who comes from the land down under. He grew up in the 70s in a country town, struggled to find his way with an alcoholic father and an obese type 2 diabetic mother. His parents divorced when he was 11, uh, battling to make ends meet. It was age 15 that he sat down and wrote a suicide letter to his mother. Luckily, he made it through this period and moved to Brisbane after finishing school. He loved to talk, which paved the way for a successful 25-year career in sales. Now, in February 2019, while training for a 1,600-kilometer cancer charity bike ride in honor of his past mentor, Alan Maxwell, Jeff suffered and survived a heart attack and found himself asking three simple questions. Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter? In March 2020, Jeff quit his well-paying job, a secure job, and went into the field of coaching to spread the message of gratitude, empathy, and mindfulness. It is with great pleasure and ex and complete excitement that we welcome to the show Mr. Jeff McEwen. Let's get streaking. What is streaking and why should you do it? Streaking is how you set up personal winning streaks. Look at who you want to be and what you need to do to become that person. This is Streaking. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jamie. And we are streakers. Through 30 years of marriage and seven children, we have learned the power of consecutive consistency or streaking. To start streaking is simple. You just follow these three laws. Make it laughably simple, keep a record, and join the streaking community. Streaking is your hidden superpower. With it, you will consistently progress and grow in whatever area of life you want. In this podcast, Jeff and I will share all the fun, exciting, serious, solemn, wonderful parts of family, spiritual, professional, and personal life, and how streaking powers it all. So join us in the conversation, join the movement, and start streaking today. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm, I'm super excited to be here, but I'm one of those guys who's always excited, so it's really easy to be excited all the time. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I loved reading your bio, and I have all kinds of fun things. I've listened to um, a podcast where you talked a little bit about your growing up years, and I kind of wanted to start a little bit. In the bio, it talks about some of the struggles you had growing up and then moving away, and I wanted to ask a little bit about how you found your mentor because you were doing a, a bike race that had a pivotal moment, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But before, you were doing that charity bike race for a mentor, and I was curious how you how you had met him and kind of the story behind that. We had a, we had a mutual friend, and I was just looking for that father figure. So my own father was, yes, he was my dad, and, and you'd have no choice in that. And he did <laughs> teach me a lot of lessons in life. There were There were good moments, but it was it was predominantly balanced by the bad moments um, and his struggles with alcohol and, and, you know, that, that impact on our family. So I was always looking for that person that had that essence of strength of character, but also had that warmth of person. And I came across Alan through a mutual friend. Um, and then ironically, we lived very close to each other. So that made that relationship really strong because we lived next you know across the major road um and he was 20 years older than me he was in business um he was uh, a massive um distributor of tupperware here in australia so he that was his business so he was a business owner but then he just became uh, a great friend and a great mentor to to my, my myself and my wife because he was you know just one of those people that took it upon himself 
to take people under their wing and and just talk about life lessons and that was what why I was so endeared to him but he was also that that strong male father figure and that's I guess what I was looking for in my life um yeah but then so sadly you, he so you go back in your life sorry yeah, yeah sorry about that go ahead I was just going to say and then then the pivotal time in in my character building was when he was diagnosed with cancer and then supporting that process because that was some years he fought for it oh wow wow that's uh that's quite the story and i, I want to learn more about that with your story i mean early on wanting to take your own life i mean that's that's quite a experience that you went through what what led up to that and then what also got you out of it so the biggest thing i was struggling with and and it's your self-worth because you couldn't find your tribe. So I was the guy who hid everything by laughter and comedy and telling jokes and being that kind of person. But inward, you know, we we, we were very poor. The, the There was chaos and the damage from, you know, the, the, the upbringing was all there. And in that pivotal, pivotal time as a teenager, makes it very hard to grow and express yourself when you're struggling with all this other stuff that was just the byproduct of your childhood. Um, I actually sat down on the the, the one night and and I typed, this is how old I am, I used a typewriter to type out my letter <laughs> of goodbye. And I remember crying on it, crying on the piece of paper while I was reading. I was, that was it. Um, the next day I'd, I'd made my plans and I won't go into the details here, but that was that moment. I'd gone, okay, I can't see my way out of this life. The next morning and I went to my mate's, my best mate's place on the way to school and his mum looked at me and said, are you okay? And that was that moment of being seen because she saw me every day of the week. But she said she looked at me and noticed I had a, just a totally different look in how I was. And, and she couldn't describe what it is, but she came over, she gave me a massive, great big hug. And it was that moment of being seen and someone knew my pain because I had kept it hidden behind that, I'm the funny laughing guy. And that was that moment. And I've been able to publicly thank her we were at an event and there was about 200 people in the room and I got to stand up and I'd invited her but hadn't said anything. And I just got to publicly say, thank you. I am here because you saw me that day. Wow. As a, as a, as a mom, um, I'm, I'm identifying with her more because, you know, when you're a mom and you have children and sons and daughters, they bring their friends over. And I love that that she was able to see that in you. And then the simplicity of being able to just say, are you okay? And then the actual physical confirming that by giving you a hug is huge. And I love that you had the chance to thank her and that she had the chance to know that. Cause so often you do things kind of like, I'm sure she was just looking at you and thinking, are you okay? Like yeah. something just seems a little off and was probably following her instincts as a mom. But to know that following those that she she saved you from literally taking your own life. That is a very powerful story. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you to her. I love her now, too. Yeah. And, and the great thing for me is that I now have teenagers 
And so mm -hmm. the lessons I learned from my childhood, I've made sure that that my children are told every day that they are loved. I have two children that um, talk to each other. <laughs> they don't slam doors. They don't yell at each other. They don't argue because my wife and I made a conscious choice because we both had difficult childhoods to say it stops with us. We, we, we say we are not going to pass that on. And that was a conscious decision we made when we were very, you know, when our son was first born, we went, we're not going to swear and we're not going to pass on the poison. You know, we both wanted to stop it with us. So that was a conscious decision. And one of the greatest things is, is that lady, um, my best mate's mum, still gives the best hugs to this day. Her hugs are better than anything oh. else. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> you That's still awesome. enjoy those significantly. That is so great. I listened to a podcast that you had done previously and you read a quote. I don't know if you have it, so I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot, but you talked about being a, I think it was a transitional person. Yes. Is that, yes. Is that right? Yeah. And Can that's you talk that, a little bit about that? About distilling the poison. Um, so it's fraud. Uh, uh, yeah, I, the name will, would come to me, but it, it's about stopping generational trauma. And one of the, the big things I've done a lot with the, the, the work I now do is adverse childhood experiences and the impact on the brain and the formation of the brain. Um, the, the ACE study deals, in, deals with how it rewires the neurology of your brain because of these adverse childhood traumas. And that impacts your ability to learn because if you're in a constant state of fight, flight, or freeze, how can you go to school and learn? Right. And that's that transitional character is a person who chooses within their lifetime to not pass on the poison of the previous generations and you don't pass it downstream. And that was the conscious decision my wife and I both made because we both had had. Um, you know, challenging upbringings. Let's just look at it that way. And we've both we both made the conscious decision because we talked about it about saying that I don't want our children to go through what we do, and I give you permission to call me out if that's what I'm doing. And that calling out process is really challenging in the moment because you're only instinctively doing what you were programmed to do because of your own childhood. And that was the big challenge is, is being courageous enough within our own relationship to call each other out when those times were were bad in our habits, because it's just the habits that we've, we've known because that was our childhood. Yeah. You know, um, your wife sounds like an amazing individual. How did you two meet? How was what was the meeting process here? And how did you guys form this great family? Well, this, this is one of those great stories in our family. Um, it's because I, I used to sell cars for a living and I sold her a car and she asked me out for <laughs> coffee. And it was like <laughs> the greatest decision in my life was to ask her out. I, I will never, ever say anything more than that. I was asked recently on a podcast and they said, what's your best decision in your life? And so they said, oh, it might be hard. I went, no, it isn't. I asked her out. That was the number one critical moment. It changed my life. I hope it changed her life um, and it brought our children into the world. Um, and we have had this opportunity to do the things with them that we wished we'd had when we were younger. Right. Yeah. It made me think of, there's a movie out there. I think it's called, we bought a farm. Do you remember that? Movie? Uh -huh. Yeah, totally. And have you seen that movie before? <laughs> we, bought there's, a farm or we bought a zoo. 
We bought a zoo. You're right. It's we bought a zoo. Thank you. And the one part where he's teaching his son, and he's like, "All you need is 10 seconds of an insane amount of courage." I thought about that. I'm like, "That's what it is. It's just 10 seconds of courage, and it can change your whole life." Oh, and and the funniest thing is, is when I asked her out, she cancelled the first time because she wasn't sick. Uh, she was sick, and I went, "Oh, that's it. She doesn't want." Sure, you're sick. (laughs) Okay, there it is. So, oh, so just just one more on that. So when you saw her, was it was it like you had to beeline because there's other sales reps that were beelining for her as well, or you know what was the competition there? Uh, at that stage, no, it was just it was just that moment. But but it was it we we've spoken about it obviously over over 29 years now. That that imagine if she'd bought a different car. <laughs> <laughs> That would have changed everything. Changed everything. <laughs> now you had um, you you you've had a very successful uh, career in sales, but with the with the heart attack that you had, that changed things. So talk to us about that moment when everything changed right there. Yeah. So I was doing a, a training ride for the the long distance ride, so sixteen hundred kilometers, which is a thousand miles, and we do that in eight days. Wow. Um, so it's a huge physical and mental challenge to get prepared for that. I'd, I'd already done it. So I was raising money uh, for cancer research for my mentor, Alan, who had passed away. But I, I got to tell him before he went that I would do this in his honour. It was one of those beautiful moments that I could tell him before we lost him that I, this would be my lifetime dedication to him is that I would continue fundraising for cancer research in his name. I'm out training and and I've been a I've been a cyclist for 30 years and because it's endurance cycling it's not about how strong and quick and fast you are it's can you do 8 to 10 hours per day because that's what we do we spread it over an entire day but I was out training and I was just left the left the house one Sunday afternoon for a quick ride you know the lawns were mowed my wife was down the shops getting getting something for a barbecue in the afternoon there was beer in the fridge it was a great sunny day it was in february february the 17th 2019 so three years oh wow right around the corner yeah three years coming up my totally different world i live in now um and i went out for this bike ride and i just didn't feel good in your in my body i had no energy i just went oh something's off today why why don't i have this normal energy to go so and I couldn't pedal well. And I'm going, something's not right. And as I'm going down the road, I started to feel this low grade, like probably a two to three out of 10 pain, lateral pain across my chest, which I'd never experienced before. The Friday morning, so this was a Sunday afternoon, the Friday morning, I'd actually done a, a high intensity hill climb where I had 15 kilos strapped on my back and I was doing a training exercise. So I, I was used to pain and pushing your body. Like when you do the long distance ride, like I I have to take my wedding ring off when I do that ride because it hurts your hands so much hanging onto the, the handlebars for six to eight, 10 hours a day. So things like wow. that, you, you can endure pain. But this was a low-grade pain, but I'd never felt it before. And somewhere back in my mind, I heard... Uh, some interview I'd heard and someone was talking about no energy and a low pain as opposed to oh, that traditional thing in the TV or the movies mm-hmm. where you, it was nothing like that at all. Like I could have kept going, but I went, nah, something's right. 
So I rode home, came, came back, and that's I was rolling down a hill towards home, and that was that question. Um, and those three questions actually come from um, a, an American, Brendan Bouchard. Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter? And mm -hmm. my other questions I asked is, have I had a good life? Will my family be okay? Now, when you ask those questions, you have absolute clarity because it's on a heartbeat and you, you, you're making sure that your heart's still beating as you try to get home to ring the ambulance. And, and there's just this, it's just pure clarity of thought. Will, will my family be okay if they lose me now? Wow. The great thing is I had a really good medical outcome. Um, I was treated and I was out of hospital three days later. Because I was fit and active, it was a single blocked artery and it was, it was cleaned up really quickly. They put a single stent in. But because of that, I, one of the things I started doing is I started writing about it on LinkedIn about putting out the symptoms of a heart attack and saying, if I just save one person because they've read my post and on the 17th of February this year, there will be another post about symptoms of a heart attack and my story. If I can save someone's life because they read that, that's a wonderful thing. And I've asked a lot of my friends and they've all gone um, and got what's called a coronary artery calcium score, which is actually a scan of your heart and tells you whether or not you're okay. And we've picked up two of my three friends who needed to get treatment because I was the fittest out of our group and I was the one who had the heart attack. So they were like... I think I'll go get checked out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's great. So at that time, so you have this pivotal moment of clarity, but for you, it was so pivotal that you not only, I mean, you came back to life, but you altered your life significantly. You thought, I, I want to do something different with my life when you came back. Talk to us a little bit about how, what that was like when you came back home and how you just, how you made some, because those are some pretty big decisions to leave a career that you're successful at and you're familiar with and, and you're established at to say, I'm going to leave and go do something completely different. Yeah. And it's, it's when you get that clarity because it's on you when you, it's on your life, what you do is suddenly that instinct voice that you've been ignoring it, that little quiet voice of your instinct is suddenly roaring at you going, will you do what you're meant to do and stop doing this other thing? I never liked sales, but it was, a, I enjoy talking. That's a byproduct, but I never actually enjoyed sales because I'm not a greedy person. I don't like greed as a person. It's not who I am, but I made a great living out of it and it supported my family. So you get mm -hmm. into this balance of, well, it's supporting my family and it's providing us a lifestyle. Well, I guess I'll keep doing it, but I don't really, you know, it's, uh, and so I, when you have a heart attack, it's clarity of thought. Everything became really clear. I then started reading a lot and studying a lot because when you're grateful for your heart beating, it changes your entire perspective on your life. That's the power of gratitude. It's And I've been doing that uh, gratitude practice. We do that as a family. What three things are you grateful for at the dinner table every night? We'd been doing that before I had the heart attack. So it's it. When you... When you get to have the conversation at your dinner table, when your children say they're grateful you're still alive, the power of that is just unbelievable. That's love. 
in its purest essence. But then there was another pivotal moment, um, and that was that six months later or thereabouts, I went and did that charity bike ride in August. So I had the heart attack. Six months later, I went and did the, the charity bike ride. So I still did it because I had a full medical that's, clearance. That's awesome. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. yeah. You are fit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've come around the other side and I'm doing okay. But there was another pivotal moment. I was studying and I was doing a lot of reading, but I was also studying, um, and this is the company I work for now, I was studying an, an advanced diploma of neuroscience of leadership, how your brain works and how you can apply that in leadership models. And I was doing that research and study and reading so much. And I went to my, not my immediate boss, but the bigger boss in charge of, of our area and our, our business. And I said, I want to run this program with our teams. Um, and I was a senior leader. I'm, I'm not just a guy on the floor by this stage. I'm, I'm in charge of my own team. I want to run this program with, my, with all the teams, all our frontline staff, but even the mechanics out the back, everyone. It talks about stress regulation, stress mitigation, breathing exercises, um, gratitude. It's a really simple process. Um, it'll help them deal with stress and anxiety. It'll take three to five minutes. I can do it in small groups. And then I can revisit that in another month or something and just help everyone. That man said to me, who do you think you are? You're not qualified get out of my office and go and do what you're paid to do. Really? Wow. <laughs> and okay. that was the moment. There's leadership for you. <laughs> another, another one of those critical moments that completely changed my life because then I planned an exit process and went, righto, I can't change him. I need to go and change me and then go and do what I need to do, because obviously I'm not going to influence uh, his thinking. I will be forever grateful for his lack of emotional intelligence, his own anxiety, because I now know that I triggered his own fight, flight, freeze response around his own anxiety and his struggles with his own anxiety. And he has not the language around that. So he couldn't express it. So what does he do? He just fights. And he was very much the command and control style of leadership. I love that as you're, I love that from what you learned, you were able to take that situation and say, okay, this isn't him. This is, I, I touched on an insecurity. I pushed a button and he's responding to that. And if he had some better skills, maybe he would have responded differently, which empowered you to be like, this is what I want to do. I want to give people those skills and that understanding so that they can respond differently to these opportunities that come into their life. So yeah. that's and, awesome. and there was so much power. Now in that exact moment, no, I, I didn't work that all out. That was a later reflection. In that moment, I was really angry. I actually yeah. went, that day, went home and had a steak for lunch and sat down and worked. My wife and I talked about our exit, my exit strategy, because I wanted to make sure my family was, was you know, we, we, we got what we were owed basically to make sure that right. I was paid what I was entitled to and what I'd worked really hard. But the, the reflection point is I was a senior leader not someone coming up like I was a trusted part of his business and had been incredibly successful. And there's some beautiful ironies. Right now, I'm working on a piece 
for um, uh, fly-in, fly-out workers here in Australia. And I'm being paid to write about that exact process that I was told to get out of his office and go back. I'm now, I now get paid to work on that kind of, of research and presentations. That's my job now, which is just full circle for me. It's awesome. Completely full circle. So as you so as you made the transition out from sales and into this and into really, I'll call it neuroscience and other things, what are some of the areas where you now, and you mentioned a little bit, where you now work with individuals to help them and to to help them get recognize and then get past whatever the fight flight or freeze experience is what's what are some of the things that you do and how do you recommend that the biggest thing that was the insight for me and there was two massive insights when i started and, and if you look behind me that bookshelf behind me that's the last three years where the work and and it's just i needed to know so much more but the two major things is your brain is trying to minimize threat and maximize reward it's always on a balance shifting back and forth that's and when you start seeing that and understanding that you go oh and then the other side of it is that that fight flight and freeze response is instinctive in all of us but some people have no idea they have no awareness that that's actually what's happening and the more we share that message and give them an understanding, the easier it is for them to become self-aware and then self-regulate. But never in the history of calming down has anyone ever calmed down by being told, calm down. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe if I say it enough times, they will calm down. <laughs> so it's it's giving them the reference and the, the 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 construct before those moments. So you you have to be talking to them before they're in that situation, because when they're in that situation, you, you can't change that immediate moment. And it's it's being able to teach such simple things because I experiment on my teenagers. That's that's how I, you know, that's what you do as a parent. Um, yep. <laughs> and you, you try on them. And if it works on them, great, you can teach it to anyone. And it's it's knowing that we don't get a guidebook or a rule book for your brain. And and that's it. We get told and learnt you've got to recite this and in school you've got to remember this and you've got to know this. The generations coming now have got language around um, their emotions far better than we were ever taught. That's when people talk about, oh, this generation coming. Well, actually, no, this generation coming have really good emotional granularity, the ability to label what they're feeling, which in the longer term will allow their emotional intelligence to be able to deal with things better. They're just young, that's all, but they've actually got better language around their emotions. And that's where this this rub is coming is because people are going, oh, they're too emotive. Well, no, actually, that's what we need to do. We need to understand the, the greatest line ever. It's not personal, it's business. Well, actually, no, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's every conversation is personal. We're a human being. We are not a robot. And one of my posts the other day I wrote about, it's not business, it's personal, actually came from the Godfather movie. Where, oh, okay. great. <laughs> good. Yeah. That's a real good line to quote all the time then. <laughs> yeah. So it was about, you know, killing someone and he's gone, no, no, it's it, it's business. It's not personal. It's like, well. It's not personal. No. I'm just going to end your life. Don't take yeah. it personally. 
<laughs> but that that actually translated into business, which was really quite sad that that suddenly a, a statement like that was like, oh, well, you know, business. What we're seeing now is that the humanistic side of business is how businesses thrive. People spend so much time looking at the metrics and 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 from the four disciplines of execution process, I was working for someone who was looking at the spreadsheet at the end of the month of loss plus and minuses. That's all they were looking at. I was focusing on the lead measures and I started my Monday morning meetings with my team with what are you grateful for? Because mm. I knew if I treated them as my family and as human beings, I would get ultimately all the numbers and the facts and figures and everything else will look after itself. And using that four discipline process and, and the and the plug for Franklin Covey while we're talking about it, is in six years, I had a 203% increase in our performance for my department because I focused on the people moving the needle, right. not looking at the needle. My boss asked me for a 10% increase year on year. So if I'd listened to him in six years, I would have increased by 60%. Nothing compared to what you increased by. Yeah, but it was because it started with what are you grateful for, treating people as, mm -hmm. as individuals. One of the biggest killers for a boss or anyone in management is when someone says they need to leave is someone looking at their watch. Because even if you're looking at your watch just to work out what the time actually is, what you're sending to that message to that person is, oh, I don't trust your judgment and you're leaving because you're trying to get away from something. No, they might have an appointment. They've got to go. They've got to go and pick their kids up early or, or some adult commitment because we're adults. But that clock watching actually is straight away sending a message to that person. And, and the other one we learned in Zoom is if someone's doing this while they're talking to you and not looking at you, Mm -hmm. that's just sending that message straight away. And that's that triggers your fight, flight or freeze response in a subtle way because suddenly you're not seen, you're not being recognised. And how many times do you walk into someone's office and they don't even look up? Right. Right. Little subtle little signs. And that's from a leadership point of view. If you, if you can go into a large organisation and, and particularly in the C-suite and the people above, go and spend a day looking at what your frontline workers do. Go and spend a day out in the workshop or in the factories with the people doing the work and see what they go through. Just by turning up and being present, they're going to suddenly respond to you because they've seen you and they feel seen. It's such a simple gesture, but ask someone in senior management or the C-suite to go and do it. And it's like you're asking you to give up a kidney or, you know, telling them to go and get root canal or something. <laughs> so I think, you know, as I think about the conversation that we've had to this point, I think of all the different, and this is just a pause uh, for streaking and just, just for a second here, all the streaks that could be garnered from what it is that you're saying and how you interact with people in life. For example, saying every day, I love you. We have one of our streakers that actually has a streak to say, I love you before her daughter leaves for the day. And that's a, a streak that she keeps intentional practice of. And that's the other thing that you brought up, Jeff, is the intentionality. Mm -hmm. One of the areas that we talk a lot about and something that you really highlighted is this idea that life is not meant to be automatic. 
Life is meant to be intentional. And a lot of times people get into this idea where currently habits are defined as the things I do automatically. And they think that I need to get good habits in life. And what we see is that you really don't develop growth or improvement through automatic means, which is what a habit does. You develop it through intentional means, which is what streaking is all about. Small and simple, which is led me to the last point that you were talking about. Just those simple, small things that you do consecutively, consistently make all the difference. When you talk about the four disciplines of execution and lead measures, the lead measure is the activity that I'm going to be doing, the behavior of, for example, what's one thing you're grateful for? Mm -hmm. And talking about that, where that humanizes everyone and helps everyone recognize that, you know what? We've all got lives. We're all adults. We all need to have recognition, understanding. And by understanding, recognizing, and being grateful, that then frees me up to really be grateful for the people who I serve today, which as a senior leader in a dealership, being able to have your folks be able to go out and see the people who they're speaking with as human beings and as the vehicle, not as a just a car, but it's actually a, a piece of memory. It, it gives you an opportunity to do things you haven't done before. By being able to humanize it in that way, it gives just this opportunity for everyone to be able to be so much more than what their job defines them as. And that goes back to that intentionality is, is when you align your why, why do I do and why do we do what we do? And, and if you're intentional about that, it, when you get that aligned, it, it then makes everything else flow on from that point. That intentionality is, you know, we talk about streaking. So so it, I, I need to mention that that my streak for this year is my journal every day. So from the 1st of January. Um, is is part of what I do. Uh, I don't need to put in my streaking for reading because I read every day. That's just instinctively who I am. So that's not something I have to know because it's not something I'm challenging myself to grow. That is just a, a, a segmented habit that exists. I will always read. I love reading. It's something I do. So there's no need for me to track that because it's a habit like you're talking about. But journal writing, I, I think a lot. I take notes, but I don't actively journal. So that's been the intentional challenge, and that's why the, the streak is and streaking is so important because that's my cadence of accountability, especially because you've got to write in it every day. You've got to keep track mm -hmm. of the date as a journal. That's building skills and building, uh, building that process that, that you're intentional with making it happen. And it's... You set a big goal and then you break it down into those little chunks of what are you going to focus on? That's that lead measure. You then add streaking to that and you're holding yourself accountable. That's how you get stuff done. doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, right. yeah, completely. Did you have a thought? I just was thinking as we were, it was interesting to talk about the story you told at the very beginning of your best friend's mom, best mate, um, and, and her seeing you. That's how you said is that she saw you. And then thinking about, as we were talking about all the different ways that sometimes it can be hard when people don't feel seen. And I love that as I think about streaking, as we were talking, 
I was like, that would be a really great streak to set a streak to just see one person a day, to, to take a minute and stop and see them as a person. And you, you wouldn't have to even say anything, but just the idea of stopping and slowing down and, or like you had said, um, when you were talking about the C-suite people, I thought, what a great streak for a leader to say, when somebody walks into my office, I will look up at least once a day. I will look up and look them in the face to acknowledge that they've walked in. And that's where I love the power of streaking is because we have so many of these things that come into our life that when we hear them, they ring true and we know. And And I'm a firm believer that there's certain things that ring true at certain times because it's something we specifically need to hear or change or have the opportunity to improve on. And I feel like the opportunities that come with streaking, when you set a streak, it gives you that opportunity to remind yourself every day, this is the kind of person I want to be. So we have a lot of people that have gratitude streaks, that that same thing. And it was great because I have a daughter that said, I've had a lot of people that set a gratitude streak where they wanted to write something down that they were grateful for. And she said, that caused me anxiety because I started to feel like I had to make a big long list so that I didn't forget anything that I was, was grateful for. And she said, so I changed my streak to at least once a day to feel grateful. And I love that as you take this um, methodology into your life, it gives you the freedom to look at yourself and say, this is what's going to work for me. I want to feel grateful at least once a day because that's going to help me recognize the things that I am grateful for and work towards becoming this person. So that's what I was just thinking. I'm like, I love the idea of a streak to stop and see someone at least once a day. And that's you, you're talking about your daughter and gratitude. That's mm -hmm. being self-compassionate to yourself. Yes. And, mm. and so often that inner voice and that inner critic is the worst voice you hear through the day. It will say things to you as an individual worse than probably the most toxic boss you've ever worked for because it's in your head every day. <laughs> yes. so, so there's, a really, there's a really great book about that called Chatter by Ethan Cross, and it talks about how oh, self-regulating yeah. your inner voice and your inner critic. But if you're talking about streaking, one of the things, and this I, I write about this quite often, but it's such a simple thing. If someone's got a name tag on, use their name. They don't have mm -hmm. Alzheimer's. Yeah. Or yeah. If the, the best one is if you're at the at the coffee shop where uh, I, I, I love coffee. Um if you're at the and you're lining up and the you know where they barista says and what's your name and they write it on the cup or they're taking it down for the order. If they don't have a name badge on, say what's your name? And ask mm -hmm. them. Thanks, Terry. Thanks for making my coffee. I really appreciate it. Now, if that's something you become intentional about, I know from watching it and doing it every time I order a coffee that that is such a rare thing for that person to experience. Mm -hmm. They, I walk away feeling good because I, a, I've got my coffee and I've smiled at someone for the day. When I walk away, they feel good. Guess who else benefits? The person behind me. Mm -hmm. All because I smiled and asked them what their name was and wish them have a great day or have an awesome day. And that's that power of intention and that's that ripples because that goes back to the, my, my main reason for being is to plant trees under whose shade I'll never sit. 
everything I do today as an intention is can I help the person I'm talking to? And if I can help that person, will that help their family or their friends or the people they come in contact? How can I spread a message that's going to help those people? Because I go back, we go back full circle. My best mate's mum gave me a hug and she saw me and that changed my life, literally. If I have the power to do that for someone else, what a wonderful repayment to her. Mm-hmm. To pay it forward. I love what you're saying because I'm married to someone, my Jeff, who does that so often when we go shopping or anywhere. You are so good at stopping and say, asking a question. Oftentimes you'll ask their name or sometimes you'll just be like, so how long are you working today? Or how much time do you have left? Or something that spurs a conversation. And it's been so interesting for me to watch because it helped me recognize as a mom of seven children, I have learned to be in a mode. And my mode is keep everybody safe, get done what I need to get done and get on to the next thing. (laughs) And so I often don't stop and notice the people that are helping. And as I've watched you do that time and time and time again, it is amazing how, how happy people are to be noticed to just be recognized. I think about sometimes we stop and get, this is so funny, but Jeff likes Coke Ices and chocolate donuts from (laughs) 7-Eleven, which I think is, I know, I think it's the nastiest thing, but he loves the chocolate donuts from 7-Eleven. But when we stop at 7-Eleven and you talk to the people that are behind the counter, by the time we leave, I seriously feel like, wow, we just made a whole bunch of new friends and they're gonna be like waving at us the next time we come in because you take that time to recognize and see a person. And it doesn't take a ton of time. So I I completely wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying. And that's my my sign off on, on everything I do on, on LinkedIn, on every comment I put on LinkedIn. So if you wanna talk about, it's no longer a streak. It was when I started, I had to be conscious of it, but now it's just a habit. So I don't have to focus on it any, anymore, but it's stay awesome and stay kind. Mm, yeah, that's great. That's great. I'll have to tell. I have to tell you just one experience as we finish up here. So yesterday I was going through TSA, and as I approached the TSA officer who was scanning each one of our identifications, it was interesting to watch. He was a very lively individual, one who I enjoyed interacting with, and I so I interacted with him, and then I went through, and the person right behind me, he looked at her and he said, "I've got a question for you, soup." or salad. And she, she kind of looked down and she said, when you go to a restaurant, do you order soup or salad? And, and she said, you know what? I'm a salad person. And it just lightened her whole day. She just started yeah. to, because he saw her, he asked a question that helped her see in a different light. And then I heard him ask the next person, colored pencils or crayons? <laughs> and, and he says, you know, which is better, colored pencils or crayons? For you, which do you prefer? And the guy's like, colored pencils, exactly. Again, he learned something else, but brightened someone's day by being just a little bit creative, having a question that he may ask, but most significantly, and Jeff, what you're saying is so true, knowing their name, I mean, what is the sweetest word that anyone can ever hear in their life? Their own name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's that, that, that TSA guy, I could guarantee you he's one of the happiest people outside of work. 
because he gets it. He understands that it's as a human being, he just needs people to see him and he needs to see them. And that's where he, he, he gets that joy because it's that significance of your own name being said back to you. Unless it's being yelled with your full name and your middle yeah. name, that's what mums do. Is that right, Jamie? Yeah. Yes. You ever mix up with the seven yeah. kids? You ever get the name, the middle names wrong? You know when you. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, the only the one time I call, the worst is when you call them by the name of the dog. That's when they really get offended. <laughs> only happened a couple times, but it has happened. Usually, I have to cycle through two, three, four names before I get to the right one. But once I get here. there, I yeah. know you do. I've landed on it. I know you. Yeah. <laughs> so. Thank you so much for for being thank you for being on our show but also thank you for for having these experiences and taking the time to change your life and leave me with this imagery of of you planting little seeds as you go that that you will nourish but that will be there to grow big for somebody else and and just that path behind you of large trees where people can stop on their journey and rest and I appreciate that you have taken the time to change your life to do that. Jeff, for people to get a hold of you or to ask questions or to um, learn more about what you know, how can they get a hold of you? Look, the, the easiest way is, is my writing on LinkedIn. If you want to talk about streaks and how you change your life, my streak intentionally was to write on LinkedIn every day, Monday to Friday. I've done that for over three years and that's the power of of turning up every day consistently doing the same thing that's that's the power so yeah just on linkedin you'll find all my links and everything else there that's great you find everything there and we'll also put it in the show notes so that you have that there streakers streakers we've released the new version of the app the streaking app is absolutely phenomenal it's your one place to go for social media self-improvement everyone there posts about their streaks posts about what it is they're doing you can adopt their streaks Jeff will even give you an opportunity to adopt some of his streaks if you would like to do that. If um, if you have more questions, you can always get a hold of Jamie or I. You can email me at Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-E-R-Y at streakingmastery.com or Jamie, J-A-M-I at streakingmastery.com. Jeff, we sure appreciate you joining us. We hope that you have a fantastic day. And for everyone else, keep streaking. You.